we come to God's word for our sermon this morning from John chapter 12. So I made uh, a little adaptation. We'll read 17 through 43 instead of 9 through 50. Um, But the focus of the sermon will center on 24 through 26 this morning. Let's hear from God's holy word. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world or the world has gone after him." Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was with, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that had stood there heard it, that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of life. light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Through uh, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so the word, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because 
he saw this glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your holy and inspired and infallible word. We pray that you'd work your spirit within us this morning. Apart from the spirit, your word cannot work. So we pray that you'd show us the gospel in clarity again as we focus on Jesus, the grain of wheat who fell into the ground and died for sinners. We pray in his name. Amen. And so just a little bit of background, you know, I I read the part where it said that the crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. We remember John chapter 11, that Jesus actually raised someone from the dead, his good friend, Lazarus. And so all these things are happening after this seventh sign in John's gospel. There was a focus on signs, especially at at the end of Uh, John's gospel, he says, these things were written, these signs were written so that you may believe. So there's a heavy focus on the signs in John's gospel. But following that seventh sign, that that number seven is a form of, is is meant to communicate perfection in the uh, ancient Hebrew language. So we see um, John, who was a Hebrew, he was Jewish, he's using that seven to uh, bring some weight to that seventh sign of the resurrection. And so we see, what are, they, what are they trying to do to Lazarus? They're immediately, they're trying to kill him. If we look earlier in the chapter, it says in, after verse 9, they're trying, the chief priests are trying to put Lazarus to death because they're afraid that the whole world has gone after Jesus now. So we see that in verse 19. The Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And so we'll talk more about that later. But I used to work at a seed company. What do I mean? Um, An agricultural seed company. So uh, farmers and seed companies would send us seeds like corn, soybeans, sunflower seeds, all sorts of seeds, and we'd take them in and we'd test them, all sorts of different tests. But I worked in a lab, in the lab that specifically did tests uh, for German germination. Kids, what is, what is germination? It's basically you take 100 seeds that you're sent, you know, just as an example, 100 seeds, you plant them all and wrap them up in paper towels that are wet paper towels, and within a couple weeks, putting them in a, a room that's a good temperature for them, what happens? They start to grow, Right? You, you start to see which seeds grow, and depending on how many of those 100 seeds that grew, you can tell the percentage germination, the, the seeds that came out of dormancy, out of their sleep, that came to life and actually sprouted. And so, what, does, what do uh, seed companies want? What do farmers want? Maximum germination, right? So, what are they, would they rather have a 50% germination or 90% germination? They want 90 to 100%, right? 
They want a fruitful harvest when they put those seeds in the ground. They want to see fruit come forth. Isn't that true of us? Don't we want to see fruits in our own lives? Aren't we even commanded in Scripture to have fruitful lives? We're commanded to bring forth good fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, through the gospel. But a lot of times, what do we see in our lives? In a sinful age, a broken age, because of sin. When we expect fruit from our marriages, our families, our jobs, our schooling, our sermons, we see a lot of times they can fall short, right? So knowing that, seeing God calls us to be fruitful, and we desire that, we have that desire in our hearts to be fruitful in our lives, but then we see the fruitlessness of our lives, even devastatingly. How are we, what are we supposed to do with that? How, are we do, how do we wrestle with that? Our desire is not met in this world a lot of times. Well, for our sermon today, the title and theme of this text, Jesus talks about that. So the theme this morning is, how do we bear fruit with our lives in a sinful and broken world? How do we bear fruit with our lives as believers? Or maybe to use the Westminster Shorter Catechism question, one, how do we glorify God and enjoy Him forever when our lives don't reflect the faith that requires? So we'll explore that in three ways this morning. We'll see Jesus talk about what it means to bear fruit in our lives. We'll see this in three points. The first, in fruitless lives. Second, the fruit of Christ. And third, the fruit of the church. Fruitless lives, the fruit of Christ, and the fruit of the church will show us how believers bear fruit in their lives, answering that theme question. So starting with the first point, I already mentioned it a little bit before, fruitless lives, we see there's fruitlessness in our lives, right? We understand that we want fruit, but we can't. What do I mean by that? I mean, in Adam, apart from Christ, not believing in Christ, we can't bear fruit, right? We understand, you know, in God's common grace, He gives us many things and many abilities of things that we can do. We see there's people who... uh, can be great people, but is it enduring fruit? Is it enduring fruit? Does does that fruit last? We see in Scripture, though, fruitlessness even more clearly in the same way we, in the same way that we see our Reflection in the mirror. If you look at uh, verse 24 again with me, I'll read it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, or into the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It is now that Jesus uses the illustration of wheat, a agricultural seed. The people of that time were very aware of their need for wheat. It was, it was their bread, literally. Jesus speaks to the disciples and the people who were with him, who had seen Lazarus' resurrection in a way that they could understand. He talked about wheat. But what does he mean by that? What does he mean by, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone? What's, what's he actually talking about? Well, he explains it in the next two verses, 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he will follow me. And where I am, there my servant be, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I'm talking about fruit that endures unto eternal life. Fruit that lasts. What does this passage say about it? Whoever loves his life loses it. If you love this life apart from Christ, you're going to lose it. But then what does Jesus say? And whoever hates his life in this world, he's talking about this age before the heavenly age to come where Jesus will bring his full consummated kingdom revealed to us. If you hate this life before that life which is to come, you're going to keep it. You're going to keep the greater life, the life that is eternal. But again, going back to that, when we love our life in this world, Jesus gives a simple explanation of both our greatest desire but also our tragic inability to attain that desire. What do I mean? Jesus shows that we do love our lives in this world. These lives are a gift, of course, but we want to keep these lives at all costs. Jesus tells us, though, unless we fall to the ground and die... Unless we lose this life, I'm not talking about, he's not talking about a physical life. He's not talking about uh, taking your life, a suicide. He's talking about not putting your worship into this life, right? He's saying, unless we hate our lives in this world compared to following him, unless we are able to live a cruciform life, a life of pain, sacrifice, and even death. We're going to lose everything we cling to, right? Again, though, apart from Christ, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we can't. We can't die to ourselves. We can't become this grain of wheat that Jesus is talking about. We can't 
fall to the ground and die. We can't live a cruciform life. We can't live a life of suffering that Jesus calls us to. Jesus is called, <laughs> I heard another pastor say it, Jesus wants you dead. He, you know, again, to hedge that in, he's not talking about taking your life or anything like that. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't want you dead. He wants you dead to this life. But we can't. We can try our hardest. We can make it look like that we don't love this life. But, but we cling to it in Adam. Maybe because we love our lives more than Christ, we often find our lives fruitless and barren. Two forms of this from our passage show us this fruitlessness. Two forms of idolatry in this life. Idolatry, again, is not something... We're, we're not worshiping an evil thing. We're actually looking to a good thing, a gift from God... We're looking to the creation and looking to that and giving worship to that. The problem is not the thing. It's where our worship is going. It's where our heart is going. Our heart is bent down towards the thing, not to the giver of the thing. Right? But we're, we're stuck in this bent heart towards the things of this life. So, again, these two idolatries that we see in this very passage. First, the idolatry of the love of power, and the second idolatry is the love of people-pleasing. Where do we see this power idolatry? Look again at verse 19. What are the Pharisees doing? They've, they've just seen, some of them have seen Lazarus rise from the dead. They've heard reports about Lazarus having risen from the dead. Everyone's going after Jesus who saw the resurrection of Lazarus, they're planning to kill him. Why? Why do they want to kill Lazarus? Because everyone's going after Jesus. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that they are gaining nothing, or you are gaining nothing. You know, the Pharisees are speaking to one another. Look, the whole world has gone after him. They're losing something that Jesus is gaining. They're losing their place of power. They were the ones who were in religious control. They were the ones who, um, upon everyone's word, or on, on, his, on their words, everyone would hang, right? They're seeing, wow, Everyone's going after this man. They're losing their power because they love the power that this world gives over the God who gives power in this world and in the next. What's the second form of idolatry we see? We see people-pleasing. At the end of the chapter, it says in verses uh, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. You know, many didn't. It said that before. But many of the authorities believed in Jesus because of, on account of the resurrection and his words. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did 
not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now I use the people-pleasing idolatry. What do you see them doing? They believed in Jesus. That wasn't wrong. But they didn't confess it before men. They were afraid of men. People-pleasing is fearing man. Left to my own flesh, I suffer. I've struggled with this one a lot. Being afraid of what people think of me. They were, you know, you'd think it's legitimate. They're afraid of being cast out of the synagogue. They're being afraid of being disconnected from the community of faith. The Jewish roots are the whole Old Testament. They go back to the beginning. They go back to Father Abraham. There was no Christianity outside of the synagogue. I'm not calling uh, Judaism Christianity, but today if, if a, a Jewish man left the synagogue he would have, he could, and believed in Jesus, he could come to a church. There was no church at this time, right? They had fallen to the fear of man as idolatry. They preferred, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Do you do this? Do you fear more what your boss says? Perhaps even what your spouse says more than what God says? That's people-pleasing. Are you, you know, for me, am I afraid of what my professor is going to say more than what God says? Do I work out of fear of my professor or do I work out of fear and love of God? So we see these manifested in our passage. We see these forms of fruitlessness in our own lives through idolatry. We see that we are, on our own, the grain of wheat that won't fall into the ground because we love our lives. We love these two idolatries, among others, like comfort and control. But what's the good news, right? Is there escape from this love of our lives in this world? We see that good news. We see release. We find freedom from that love of this life in the fruit of Christ. Let me read this passage again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In looking at this again, we see our fruitlessness in this, we're, we're the grain of wheat who doesn't fall into the earth and we remain alone and we lose our lives. But if we see Jesus as a grain of wheat, using his illustration, we see Jesus didn't love his life. 
Jesus gave up his life. He was willing to hate his life so that he could fall to the ground and bear fruit. What was that fruit that Jesus bore? In Jesus being the grain of wheat who falls into the ground, he, be, he was uh, his fruit in dying to himself, he gave birth to the church. You've maybe heard it said before, quoted from church history, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Who is the first Christian martyr? Jesus Christ. He was able to set aside, though we are unable in Adam to set aside our lives. Jesus, the second Adam, the greater Adam, the grain of wheat who does fall into the ground and die for his people, Jesus who gave himself over to the hands of man to be lifted up, that he may draw sinners to himself. Through Jesus falling to the ground and dying, he brings forth the harvest of his church in the new life that they were also afraid afraid to lose. In Jesus losing, connecting to that power idolatry that we're afraid to lose, like the Pharisees, they were losing all their power to Jesus. Because Jesus gave up all his power in the heavenly realms, He came down in the form of a man. We call that the humiliation of Christ, the humble form of Christ. He gave up all his power in heaven. It says in Philippians chapter 2, he was poured out. He gave up the power of heaven. Rather, he became and took on the form of a servant. He didn't see equality of God as something to be had, but rather he became like one who washes feet. Losing all that power in his death, he shares his power that he gave up with believers. We have to to remember, this world isn't all there is. If you believe in Christ, there will come a time where you will reign on high with Christ. You understand, that's a, that's a place of power. That's, a, that's unbelievable. That's incomprehensible. How could you reign on high with the Lord Jesus Christ? It, it seems unthinkable, but it's true. Power in itself, again, is not a bad thing. And Jesus giving up all power, coming as a form of a servant, he provides that power for us when we believe in him in the heavenly realms, in the next age. And then also in Christ's humiliation and coming as a servant, what did he give up? He lost all favor and honor before men. He was being sung to by angels in the heavenly realms, giving all honor and praise. He was being lifted up in all glory, but he came down. And then what was next? He went stripped of his clothes, 
even stripped of his skin by bones. He was placed on the main road into the city on a cross. Could you imagine yourself on that cross? How humiliating that would be. Such shame. Jesus wasn't seeking to please anyone except his Father. He wasn't seeking the glory of man. He didn't value that. He rather sought the glory of God. But how, how did he achieve, achieve that glory? Through shame on the cross. He was stripped naked, hung on the cross with nails. How humiliating. But through that shameful death, he frees people pleasers. Do you understand that? We're afraid of losing the glory of man. But when we believe in him by faith, turning from that people pleasing, repenting of that, looking to him instead, looking for the glory that comes from God, he sets us free from that idol. The gospel sets us free from people pleasing because he was put to shame. And then being set free from the idolatry of power and the idolatry of people-pleasing, what are we enabled to do? What happens to us when when those things that we crave, good things, power and affirmation in this life, when they're rightly set with God, when we know we have them, we we have the assurity of God's power where we'll reign on high with him and then we're cloaked in his affirmation as if we're cloaked with heavenly robes, robes of kings and queens. We're set free to live our lives in a way that we become, in our third point, the fruit of the church. Jesus gives life to us through his dying What is that fruit that comes forth? Again, the church. We as the church are freed from those idolatries. We can live lives as the grain of wheat that falls into the ground. On our own, we could not do it, but through Christ, we become the grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. When we're not looking to whether someone gives us glory or power, before we're afraid to share the gospel, perhaps, well, I'm afraid that my boss is going to fire me. I'm afraid my um, secular professor is going to fail me. Perhaps maybe a a child is ministering to his his parent, a non-believing parent. I'm not afraid that my father is going to kick me out of the house for believing in Jesus, perhaps a a Muslim child. child becomes a believer. Out of the gospel, we don't have to fear those things anymore. It's almost reckless living, but at the same time, it's real. We can share our lives. We can use our power in a way that gives glory to God. When we're we're set free from those, we can die to power in this life. We can die to affirmation in this life and rather live in a way that we can use both power and affirmation that we've been given for the sake of the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God. Through Jesus' 
falling to the ground and dying for sinners, we are set free to live a cruciform life, a life of suffering to the glory of God and the advancement of his church. Through the gospel, spouses, parents, kids, and friends in a way that they're not trying to wrench affirmation out of each other anymore, but rather they're giving themselves to serving at their own expense. Through the gospel, believing students are empowered to study in a way that affirmation of identity is not dependent upon their grades by their teachers, but rather out of the love found in the sacrificial Savior. Out of the gospel, the pastor doesn't have to rely on his own place of power or people-pleasing, trying to suck up as much praise as he can. Rather, he gives that up. He doesn't seek to pull that out of you when he already has it secured in Christ through the gospel of his death for sinners. Through the gospel, in conclusion, we become the grain of wheat that falls to the ground because of Christ, the grain of wheat who died for sinners. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this good news that through Jesus, the grain of wheat who falls into the ground and dies, we find freedom, even freedom to give glory to him and enjoy the fruits of his labor, even giving up power and people-pleasing affirmation for us, that we can look to the last days where we will rule on high and be clothed in all affirmation, even being confessed before men. We thank you for these benefits in Christ, but most of all, for Christ himself. Amen.